you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 5, where we're going to learn about husbands and how they are to love their wives. This is the first Sunday of taking the husbands behind the woodshed. One of the great plagues of the world today is feminism. Feminism is a satanic attack upon God's design for the family. Envious, angry, bitter women or discontent with the role that God has assigned them and who have wrongly been treated by men want to make all things equal and in some cases want to make things unequal. At first, uh, women just wanted equal pay for equal labor, which was not a bad thing, and they wanted to vote, which was not necessarily a bad thing. But some of them took it much further. They wanted control. They wanted dominance. They wanted to be synonymous with men. And, of course, this can never be. It can never be because though women are equal in value and equal when it comes to salvation, women are emotionally different, physically different, and they have been assigned different roles by God. And when feminists hear what God has to say in his word, they do one of two things. They either snarl and gnash their teeth and condemn the Bible as an archaic form of male oppression. Or they try to take the scriptures and twist them to make them say something they don't say. And oftentimes, in order to show how wrong it is for men to be the heads of their family and the head of the church, they compare cases of men in the past to who have mistreated their wives, who have abused their wives, and who have been mean, authoritarian, abusive husbands. And they say, see, that's what the Bible teaches. And so they try and get away with the scriptures. But the irony of it all is that's not what the Bible teaches. The irony of it all is that they cut their own throats. Because there is no standard that exists. There is no rule book. There is no society. There has never been a culture that has ever treated women like the Bible commands husbands to treat their wives. There is no comparison. And so by attacking the Bible and attacking God's design for marriage, they bring huge misery upon themselves, upon them, their children, their husbands, their family and society at large. Women, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be speaking to you in a very direct way, like I am speaking to husbands this morning. But this morning, I want you to keep your elbows down. Just keep them to your side. Keep your icy stares to yourself. And don't be thinking, I'm so glad my husband's hearing this. Because your Sundays are coming. (laughs) Yet I do want you to pay attention because there are some important things that you need to learn this morning for important reasons, which we'll get to in a moment. But for this morning, we come to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25 and following, and if you've never studied the book of Ephesians, uh, you might not know that the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about the believer's position, about their blessings, about their riches in Christ. And then in the latter half of the book, in chapters 4 through 6, we have the believer's walk. So the first chapters are about your blessings in Christ And then the last part of the book is about how you are to walk or live in light of the blessings that you have in Christ. And this can be easily seen if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, you will see Paul say, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. And then in 4.17 we read, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer 
um, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. And then in 5.2, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And then if you look down in verse 8, you will see for you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then if you look in verse 15, it says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. I mean, it's pretty clear, isn't it? It's about walking in the spirit. And that's what he gets into right after the verse I just read in verse 15. He says we are to be filled with the spirit. And then he goes on to explain how the spirit filled life uh, produces certain things in us. And, you know, don't get all, you know, twilight zoney about walking in the spirit or being filled in the spirit. All it means is this. It means you as a believer, having your sins confessed are walking in accordance to the word of God for the glory of God. That's all it means. You are walking in obedience to God by the power of the Holy spirit, which is resident in every believer. That's all it means. Well, as soon as Paul gives this exhortation to walk or be filled in the spirit, he then says, I need to tell you how this works out in relationships and what you need to know. And this is important. We're going to cover this some more in just a minute is that as a believer, when you obey God, you show love towards God. You remember the great commandment is to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. Well, on those two commands, hang all the law and the prophets, which means this, every command in the Bible can fit under those two. You either love God directly by loving him, worshiping, serving him, praising him, or you love him indirectly by loving other people. And so all your relationships are to be expressions of love to God. And you love God by loving other people and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in this section, he begins to address first wives and husbands and husbands and wives, and then parents and children and children and parents and slaves and masters and masters and slaves, because he wants to cover all the primary relationships that we as Christians live in so that Christians will know how to love God. By loving each other. And so that is what we are looking at this morning. Husbands loving their wives in order to show love to God and give him glory. And so if you have your Bibles, look at Ephesians 5 verse 25 and follow along as I read. The text says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself for no ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respect her husband. Now from this text, I want to show You four ways husbands must love their wives in order to glorify God and have a blessed marriage. And of course, this text, first and foremost, applies to husbands. If you're a husband, it's going to be hot this morning. Secondly, it applies to any single man, whether you're a boy in high school, college student, any man who might just get married someday. It's just as applicable to you. For you wives, it applies to you and that it will explain to you how you are to pray for your husband. Secondly, how you can encourage your husband. Third, so you don't expect your husband to act towards you in an ungodly way or resent him for loving you in a biblical way. And fourth, 
So if your husband fails to love you in this way, you can bring him to the before the elders and we can deal with him. You see, one of the ways that God protects wives from just having mean authoritarian ogre husbands is the elders. And so if you as a wife are obeying God and your husband is not, then bring the matter up before the elders. Now, if you're not obeying God and your husband's not obeying God, then repent and you do it. And we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. The rest of you who don't fall into the category of husband or husband to be need to know these things so you can pray for husbands, so you can give wise counsel to husbands. And so you can speak out for the truth in the world that has forgotten what it means to be a husband. And so let's look at the text. And the first thing we are going to encounter is you must love your wife by sacrificing yourself for her. In verse 25, the Greek word read, Hoi Andres Agapate Tas Gunaikas. Husbands, love your wives. And the central command here is the word agapate. That is Agape, love your wives. And in the Greek, there are several words used for life. One is kind of a friendship love. One is a sensual type love. And one is an unconditional, self-sacrificing love that does what is best for the other person for the glory of God. And that is how husbands are commanded in this text to love their wives. And the clearest, most concise definition of agape love is found in 1 Corinthians 13. Turn there. 1 Corinthians 13. This is a familiar text to many of us. Paul is speaking about the use of spiritual gifts in chapter 12. And in chapter 13, he wants the Corinthians to know that when you use your spiritual gifts, whatever they might be, they must be exercised in love. And so he stops to give a definition of agape love. And he starts that definition in chapter 13, verse 4, where he says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, in that definition, I don't know if you noticed or not, but there isn't a single emotion mentioned. You you go in the world today and, you know, I've just got that loving feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. I mean, that's how it is, isn't it? You just have, I have warm fuzzies for you and I love you. Listen, love is a commitment of the will to do what is best for the other person according to the word of God for the glory of God. That's what love is. And so, you know, when people say, well, you know, I just don't love my wife anymore. So we're getting a divorce. What they're really saying is this. I have made a conscious decision to hate God and hate my wife. And I refuse to do what is best for her because I'm selfish. That's what they're saying. And, you know, they just need to put that in the paper. I wish they would. But what makes it scarier than just the definition of love is to know that the word love here is not just an unconditional self-sacrificing love that does what is best for other people according to the glory, according to the word of God for the glory of God, but that it's a present active imperative, which means it's a command that we are to always and continually be loving our wise husbands. And if we don't, we're sinning against God. If there ever is a time when you fail to love God, By loving your wife, you're sinning. You're sinning. We love God by keeping his commandments. And here's the command. Husbands, always and ever be continually loving your wife. Love is not something the wife has to request from her husband. It's not something the husband needs to feel like doing. 
It's not something the husband should do in order to get something back from his wife. The almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, the one who owns all husbands. Commands husbands to continually be loving their wife. Because that is how we love him. And this is very significant. It means husbands that you love your wife not predicated on her performance. It's not about her performance. It's about loving God. You want to show love to God? Then love your wife. You want to show hatred to God? Hate your wife. And listen, there's no ifs and there's no ands and there's no buts. If you are loving your wife like God commands, which is unconditionally, there is never anything your wife could ever do to make you stop loving her. There's no expectations because it's unconditional love. And in the Greek, that means love without conditions. No conditions. You know, I have people come to me for marriage counseling all the time. And before they even step in the door, I know what's wrong. They all have one problem. They aren't unconditionally loving each other. I ask husbands what is wrong and they start to, well, you know, my wife, you know, you don't know how my wife is. My wife isn't meeting up to my expectations. She's not doing this and she said this and she's. And when what's happening is, is they're really saying, you know, my wife hasn't met up to my expectations. Therefore, I am deciding to hate God. And not love my wife. And I'm telling you, sometimes people are so blind to this. What I'm telling you right now is I tell it to them over and over again. And sometimes they never get it. They just can't quite get it. You know, they say, now, now, what did I just tell you? Well, I'm supposed to love my wife unconditionally. I said, that's right. And then they say, but, and then they give me a reason why they're not going to. No, no, buts. just stop it there. Go love your wife. Go love your wife. They said, well, you know, you don't mind. No. Nope. Unconditional. Let me get the dictionary. Let me show you what that word. No conditions. And see, people do this to justify their carnal behavior towards their spouse. And what it reveals is, is that their love for their spouse is not really a love That is unconditional. Otherwise, whatever their spouse did would never affect the way they love. You see, as soon as you have agape love, it doesn't matter. You're bulletproof because the motivation for your love is to give God glory and to love him. Period. Nothing else. Nothing else. And so there, there could never, your wife could never do anything because it's not about your wife. It's about God. It's about God's glory. And you love God. And so you're going to love your wife because God says so. No expectations, no conditions, no performance standards. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, then love your wife unconditionally. And if you aren't going to love your wife unconditionally, then don't tell anyone you know Christ. Because what you will do is you will give the occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme God. Because, oh, yeah, the guy calls himself a Christian. He's supposed to love his wife. But look at him. Look at verse 25. Paul gives husbands the standard of love they are to strive for. And notice. Wives who have a hard time submitting to your husband, the standard is fairly high. Husbands are to love their wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That didn't sound too bad for the wives. And men, I want you to know this is about as uncomplicated as it can be. You could take all the marriage books and tapes and sermons and distill them down into this half a verse. Love your wife just as Christ loved the church. And give yourself up for your wife. There. That's all the marriage counseling, all the books, all distilled down into one half of a verse. And just in case you missed it, 
He says the same thing at the end of verse 29 and verse 30, just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. He says the same thing in case you didn't get it the first two times in verse 32. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So if we can figure out how Christ loved the church, then husbands, man, we're in the groove and we can figure it out because it's all the way through the gospels and the new Testament, right? No problem. And it's really great because Paul tells us. And the first thing he tells us, which was in the verse we already read, he did it by giving himself up for his wife. He sacrificed himself for his bride, the church, right? And so you give yourself up for your wife, just like Christ does for his bride, the church. You're thinking, well, that that sounds deadly. Well, there's a couple different ways you can sacrifice yourself. You can sacrifice yourself all at once or you can sacrifice yourself over a longer period of time. But sacrifice just means this. When you sacrifice, all you're doing is you're taking something that has value and worth to you and giving it up for something that has greater value or worth. That's what sacrifice is. You know, you husbands that love Monday night football. And some of them are going, no, not Monday night football. (laughs) You give up Monday night football to go on a walk with your wife and talk about feelings. (laughs) Because it pleases her and it is of greater cause. And, you know, you go to rent a video or DVD and, you know, you want to get something with monsters, (laughs) something scary and explosions, you know, the underdog fighting against incredible odds. And then you see the relationship movies there and you realize I need to love my wife. And so you get pride and prejudiced. And you watch that instead with a happy heart because you set aside what you want and what is valuable to you for your wife. You know, the husband likes to come home from work to this very orderly, clean, well-kept house with a nice big feast on the table. I mean, that's what he's looking for. He wants to sit in his chair and be fed grapes and fanned and, you know. (laughs) But when he comes home, the house is kind of messy. There's no dinner cooking. The wife is huffing and puffing because she's worn out because she's been chasing kids and disciplining kids and changing diapers and doing laundry and scrubbing toilets and trying to get her Bible study done and paying the bills and going to the DMV for her husband. She's talking to women on the phone, trying to help them apply the scriptures to the life because they're having problems. And he realizes that God has called him to be the leader, not in a worldly sense, but in a Christ-like sense. So he tells his wife, honey, just sit down right here. Can I get you something to drink? Can I, you know, get you something to read? You just sit down right here. He changes his clothes and he starts making dinner and he picks up the house and he vacuums and he sets the table and he cleans up the kids and he sits them down and they have dinner and he picks up the dishes and he does the dishes because he wants to give himself up for his wife. And is he tired? Of course he's tired. Just like his wife. But he's the stronger vessel. He's the leader according to God's design. And God's design is the leader who shows by example what it means to give up. It's none of this, you know, honey, get me a beer, you know, type of a thing. That's not God's plan. It's the husband who is telling his wife, listen, 
I'm going to sacrifice me in order to serve you. I want to help you. I want to encourage you because you're the greater cause over my personal comforts. Husbands, you just need to put your worldly ideas of leadership out of your mind when it comes to the home because they do not apply. It may be what works in the corporate business world or at the job site where, hey, do this, hey, do that, you know, whatever, where you're just ordering around and there's no love, there's no compassion, there's no feeling, but you can't be the mean drill sergeant or the overbearing dictator or the inflexible, cruel, authoritarian ogre. You are to be like Christ who gave himself up for the church. That's what kind of leader you're to be. And if you're saying, well, how exactly did he do that? Well, turn to Mark 10. Mark 10 is just one passage. Of course, there's zillions we could go to, but Mark 10. And in Mark 10... John and James, who are kind of the inner part of the inner circle of the four disciples who are closest to Jesus, they decide that they're going to go ask Jesus if they can sit in his right hand and his left when he gets into his kingdom. Because they want to be in charge. They want to be calling the shots. They want to be telling people what to do. You, angel, go get me a glass of water. You, fly down there and fix that. You, they want to be in charge. They want to be authority. They want to be leaders. And so Jesus tells them what it means to be a leader after his kind. Look at verse 41. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, you could put in pagans, lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be a among first among you shall be the slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. There you are, husbands. There's your leadership description. Slave of all, servant of all, spend your life. Doing things for other people. There. So next time you say, I am the head of this family. Then start serving. (laughs) Make dinner. Scrub the toilets. Do the dishes. Serve. Because that's what it means to be a leader in a Christian home. Secondly. You must love your wife by helping to sanctify her. Look at verses 26 and 27 so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Here we learn that husbands are to be like Christ in his sanctification. Sanctification is just a big word to confuse people. Um, Sanctification just means growing in godliness sanctification is basically the same word translated holy here it means to be set apart from sin unto god that's what it means in other words to sanctify your wife or to help her grow in sanctification means to help her grow away from sin and more towards obedience to god or grow in her christian walk and spiritual maturity that's all it's talking about and we know that the primary way this happens is through the word of god you remember what jesus said in john 17:17 17, 17 in his high priestly prayer sanctify them in what truth thy word is truth in first peter chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 peter says Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. How do you grow? By the word of God. We see the same thing in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 as Paul speaks to Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. 
What's it profitable for? Oh, just teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It's the word of God that transforms you and sanctifies you. That is, makes you more godly. If you don't have the word of God, you don't grow. So what does this mean for you husbands? It means, husbands, if you are going to be the spiritual leader of your family, which is what this section of Ephesians is talking about, to help sanctify your wife and wash her with the word, then you have to do it first. You have to do it first. That's what it means. As the head, you are responsible to make sure your wife is cleansed by the washing of water with the word. And just as someone who is dirty needs to scrub, so somebody who is a sinner needs to constantly scrub with the word of God their whole life to try and get themselves cleaned up for God. It is the process of growth whereby we keep setting aside old things and putting on new things, where we flee from old things and pursue new things. When we turn from old things and pursue those things God wants us to do, that is sanctification. And I'm telling you, husbands, you've got to do this because God tells you you have to right here in the text. And if you're going to say you love God, then you have to do this because this is how you love God. And if you're out there going, well, Jack, I, you know, I just don't know, you know, how do you do this? Well, you can do it a number of ways. How do you expose your wife and, and saturate her with the word of God? Well, here are some ideas. First is you just instruct her in the scriptures and sound doctrine. You tell her, honey, I've been reading some systematic theologies on this doctrine. Let me tell you what I learned. See, people are laughing. Systematic theologies. That is normal. Systematic theologies are normal reading for godly men commentaries are normal reading for godly men and see what's strange is our world has so duped husbands over the course of time that husbands don't even know what it means to be a spiritual leader they think a spiritual leader is going to with their going to church with their family on sunday morning that's just a a speck of it It means that you as a husband are in the word, man. You're digging in the word. And you tell somebody, yeah, you know, you need to get some commentaries. You need to get some Bible software. You need to get some systematic theologies and Bible dictionaries and encyclopedias and start building your library. How big is your library at home? Is your biblical library to help you grow in the Lord so you can sanctify your wife and your children through the washing of the word? Is it as big as your CD collection, your DVD collection? Your video collection. Some people have thousands of those. But then when you say, you know, you should probably get this. Come on, it's $12. (laughs) Can I borrow yours? No, you can't borrow mine. I'm using it to sanctify my wife. Get your own. But whatever way you do it, whether it's by encouraging her to have quiet times, to go to Bible studies, to go to women's retreats, you tell her, honey, you are going to the women's retreat. You, you need to go to a Bible study. You need to get involved in discipleship relationship. You know what? I, I want you to buy tapes or CDs or MP3 files so you can listen to them when you're cleaning house. I want you to listen to them when you're driving around in your car. I want you to listen to good music. I want you to expose yourself to the word of God. And so not only do it verbally, but you encourage her to get involved in all of those things that are going to expose her to the teaching of God's word so she can grow. That's what it's talking about. So whatever way you do it, you have to do it. You have to do it. Because that is what it means to love God. Husbands, I ask you this before God and these witnesses, do you faithfully read and study your Bible? Because that's where it starts. Do you faithfully meditate on the scriptures and read good books and listen to sermons on tape and CD and MP3 files? Are you in the words of Paul to Timothy constantly nourished up in the words of the faith and sound doctrine which you have been following? That is normal Christianity. Of course, you wouldn't know that from many men. They have done huge investments for plasma TVs and gadgets and widgets and four wheelers and ski doos. And let me see your theological library. 
They hold up their Bible. It's a good start. There's a bad trend going on in the church as a whole and even in this church. And that bad trend is that husbands are being led by their wives, spiritually speaking. We have about 150 women right now involved in Bible studies where they do hours of homework every week, where they look at commentaries, where they read, where they study, where they do observations, where they read the book multiple times and chapter observations. And, you know, they're doing word studies and they're trying to answer questions and apply it to their life and memorizing chunks of scripture. Are you doing that? How can you ever expect to lead your wife if you aren't doing that? Now, I'm not talking about just reading your Bible. I'm talking about studying it. I'm talking about digging into it. Do you ever just, for no other reason, no Bible study, do you ever just sit down with your Bible because you know this is what you have to do and you just start reading it and you get out your commentary and you get out your whatever and you get out your cross references and you dig in. You do that? And people go, what are you talking about? That's normal Christianity. But it's not normal anymore. And it needs to change. Because the families are suffering because the men aren't doing what God tells them they need to be doing. So we need to get to the place where we're all the men in this church who call themselves Christians, who have wives, are in there studying the word of God. Buying good books, invest in the software, invest in whatever, get whatever it takes, get the good resources you need and don't wait for somebody to hand feed you all your life and just come to church like a baby bird. In goes the sermon worm. Okay, I'm going to starve till the next week. Every man here should be constantly being nourished up on the words of the faith. And if you're thinking to yourself, Jack, I, I just don't have enough time. If, you know, I mean, you're asking me to do all this stuff, man. Studying the Bible, I've tried it once and it was hard. You know, I'd have to, I'd have to quit watching my trashy TV programs to do that. You know, I, I'd have to cut back on my hobby. I have to spend less time reading the futile newspapers and magazines I subscribe to. I mean, you you don't expect me to do that, do you? No, God does. God wants you to give up that. Now, if you can study your Bible, if you can grind into the scriptures, if you can get into the word of God and you can be the man God wants you to be, then you can throw that extra stuff on. But I'm telling you, don't take the extra unnecessary things that have no eternal significance and focus on them to the exclusion of what God says you have to do. Many husbands are like Gulliver in Gulliver's travel. You remember that the guy washes up in the beach, all the little people, you know, put all these little strings on him. Well, that's what happens to husbands. They start getting worldly and by degrees, you know, they get a little thread put on them and they, they could break it easy, but they don't. And then another one gets put on them, another little bit of a worldliness and more worldliness. And, more, and pretty soon they wake up and they can't even move anymore. They're just lashed down to the world and they're worldly. Meanwhile, their wives are going to study, memorizing scripture, encouraging the kids, going over the want of verses with the kids. And the husbands are sitting in their chair, lashed to popular mechanics. And it needs to stop. It just needs to stop. So I ask you husbands right now who aren't doing this, what are you going to give up in order to do what God wants you to do? What hobbies or times of rest or pleasures are you going to give up? Because you know you must give up in order to be what God wants you to be. How can you ever lead your wife spiritually if you aren't in the word? The women in this church are shaming most of the husbands. Many husbands won't even sacrifice the time to come to a Bible study, let alone do homework. I want you to know, if you have a men's group, the way to kill it is assign homework. Yeah, and I'll go to his. And he wanted us to read a whole chapter of the Bible. (laughs) Many won't even come to Bible study. You can't even get them to come. You know, why don't you come to our Bible? It's like, "Mm, yeah, you know, I'm not a morning person. Well, we're having one at night. Oh, I'm not a night person either. <laughs> so I do my TV watching, you know. 
Uh, and then you have some who say, yeah, yeah, I'll come, I'll come. And then where were you? I stayed up, you know, really late last night watching trashy TV programs. And I just couldn't get my carcass out of bed. You know, 5 a.m. isn't early. Man, you have to discipline yourself for godliness, which means saying no to your desires, no to your pleasures, no to your comforts. I want you to know God's grace is sufficient for you. You can do it. You know, when I got up this morning, it was five o'clock and it was very warm and snuggly in my bed. Next to my snoring wife. No, this game. Um, yeah. You know, I thought, you know, it would be great to just lay here and continue to pine away. Or I can get out of bed and open my Bible and beg God to help me beat up a new husband. And to beat up on my own life. And to go over things. Why? Because that's what you got to do. It's what you got to do. Men, you need to be men. And quit dabbling in the scriptures. Quit minoring in scriptures and majoring in worldliness. It's got to stop. Get rid of your TV if you have to. Do whatever it takes to saturate yourself in the word. Get all, instead of just turning on the radio, just get tapes and CDs. And that's what I do in my truck. Make sure I have Christian music in there. If I'm driving with my family, we get Christian music or instrumental. And if they're not in there, I'm somebody's preaching at me. All the time. I'm in the yard. Preaching. 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 Why? Because. I got to do it. I can't be the husband I need to be. If I'm not constantly being nourished up in the words of the faith. It's what you got to do. That's just what you got to do. And amazingly. If you do that. You'll be thinking biblically. You'll have God's wisdom. You'll have God's character. You'll, you'll infect your wife. You'll infect your children. You'll have Good things to say. You'll have strong motivations. You'll infect your family with godliness. Now that is a leader. That is a leader. So husbands, if you have been unfaithful in imparting truth to your wife, making sure you are first exposed to it so she can be exposed to it, you need to confess that sin to God and start making some changes. Because we as the church need to lead. Lead. In this area to show the world what it means to be a husband. And it starts with being a servant. Third, you must love your wife as yourself. Look at verses 28 through 30. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. And then he goes on to say, he who loves his own wife loves himself or no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. And here there is one big idea for husbands, and that is this. Love your wives like your own body. I mean, think of how you love your body. You know, you brush your hair and you know, brush your teeth and trim your toenails and clean yourself and dress yourself and feed yourself. And, you know, you go and turn on the air conditioning for yourself and you make sure your, your fingers are out of the way when you close the car door because you like your fingers. And, you know, every single thing in your life, you know, you blink when things are coming at you. You duck when you don't want to get hit. You try not to hit your finger with a hammer when you're building something. You know, you're, you're carrying out for yourself automatically all the time. You're watching out over yourself. Now you got it. That's how you're to treat your wife. Always be watching out for your wife all the time like you always watch out for your body because you are one flesh with your wife so to watch out for your wife is to watch out for your own body because you are one god wants you to watch out and care for your wife constantly and notice these two words here which you know are just painful i want you this is painful i'm a husband my wife's sitting over there And notice the two words, nourish and cherish. The word nourish is a word that describes a mother's tender care, protection, provision for her little baby infant. The word the word cherish is the same kind of thing. It's used of mothers, gentle, loving care of their children. And, you know, you just uh, we all know what it's like when women have babies and they're new. They just they're just little and they need constant care. You don't tell your baby, go clean the house. Feed yourself, get yourself cleaned up, 
They can't do anything. They're just constantly to be pampered. A a mom just has to just hover over her baby and just constantly and incessantly care for that child. You got it. There you go. Make the application. That's it. That's what it means to be a husband. Paul uses the same word in 1 Thessalonians 2.7 where he describes his own life and ministry to the Thessalonians. And this is what he says. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares. That's the word there. Tenderly cares for her own children. That's what it means. Tenderly care. Husbands, this rules out any sort of rough, mean, unkind, ungentle, grudging, pouting, complaining, whining care of your wives. That's it. If it doesn't fit under the category of nurture and cherish... It's sinful. God wants you to love your wife like your own body. When you have something in your eye, you know, a little eyelash or a little speck of dirt, do you try and just get it out with a pair of rusty pliers? And they'll work. Do you try and get it out with a wire brush? Oh! It works. It would work. No, you go get yourself a nice little soft piece of tissue. And very carefully, you nurture and cherish your eye. Because you like your eye. Well, that's how you're to treat your wife. Same way. God wants you to continually be thinking of your wife, her protection, her care, her feeding, her clothing, her emotional and spiritual needs. Just like you always do yourself. He wants you to do it so faithfully and so continually it just becomes second nature. This is what I do. I care for my wife. And so if I were to go out and and I were to corner your wife in the hallway and say, hey, uh, how's your husband loving you? Is he cherishing you and nurturing you? Would she say, yes, oh, yes, my husband is so sweet to me. He just constantly pampers me and molly coddles me and he's just my snookums. <laughs> Is that what she'd say? He's just always looking out for me and watching out for me and trying to do things for me. And even when I can do things myself, he won't let me do it because he just, we just wants to, he just loves me so faithfully. Is that what your wife would say? Or she would say, keep preaching. <laughs> So husbands, don't let your wife be your slave. You be her slave. If you haven't been nourishing and cherishing your wife, husbands, you need to confess that sin to God. Confess that sin to your wife and make changes because this is what God tells you you must do. If you're going to love him and call him your God, this is what it means. You have to love your wife in this way. Fourth, you must love your wife according to God's design. And ah, look at that. There's a verse that we just preached on last week. Why would Paul go to Genesis 2.24 to support his whole, this whole section on husbands loving your wife? Because he wants to make the connection that loving your wife is founded upon God's original design and blueprint for marriage before the fall. This is what God established. And so he is expanding or expounding upon what it means for a husband to love his wife, as Genesis 2.24 says. And we looked there last week, and if you weren't here, get the tape. We learned in Genesis 2.24 that there must be one man and one woman in a marriage. There must be public declaration to leave a previous family alliances to establish new ones. There must be a permanent emotional, mental cleaving and commitment to love each other. There must be physical consummation of the marriage. And all of this is God's original blueprint design. And Paul wants us all to know, listen, all of everything I'm telling you, it's nothing new way back before the fall. I'm just giving you more details about what God wanted to happen back then. Husbands, when you married your wife, you most likely made a promise to your wife that went something like this. I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be our loving and faithful husband. In plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness 
and in health as long as we both shall live. Do you remember that? Well, God does. And so does your wife. And so keep your promise. Keep your promise. You swore undying, unfeigning love until death. And that's what you have to do. Because that's what God requires. And that is what you promised. Are you keeping the promise you have made your wife? If you say, well, you know, no. I mean, no one does it perfectly. But is it the pattern? Do you think your wife would say you are? If not, in any of these areas we've talked about this morning, this is what you need to do. You need to go and spend some time with the Lord. And you need to dump on God and just confess all of your stubborn, selfish, ungodly practices that you have gotten the habit of doing. And you confess all those to God and ask him, beg him to change you. And then you go to your wife and have a date with her or sit her on the couch without interruption and tell her what you want to do to help love her more and confess to her and then start being the man God called you to be. And so as you leave here today, husbands, one, constantly sacrifice yourself for your wife's needs Two, help sanctify your wife by being the spiritual leader who is being sanctified and by encouraging her to expose herself to the word of God in a variety of ways that can be had. Third, love your wife as yourself, which means constantly and continually look out for your wife and all of her needs Four, love your wife according to God's design described in Genesis 2.25 and every other text in the Bible that addresses how husbands are to love their wives. And this is what it means to be a Christian husband. And so this is what you have to do. But God's grace is sufficient. He never asks you to do anything. He doesn't give you the grace to do. So it's not too hard. It just has to be done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is so crystal clear. And Father, being a husband, I know this text is convicting as I have studied it all week. I know that I fall short of your perfect standard and every husband does. But Father, may we not use our imperfection and our sin to justify it. Father, may we ever press on towards the mark of loving our wives in an unconditional way. May we be the leader that we need to be. May we show by example and service, lead our families, our wives in holiness according to your word. May we encourage our wives to get involved in Bible studies and discipleship relationships and have quiet times and listen to good music and tapes and sermons. And Father, anything that will expose them to the truth. Father, may we learn to just continually sacrifice ourselves for our weaker vessel to that bride that we married and swore an undying commitment to love until death, regardless of the circumstances. And Father, in doing this, may the world see our marriages as being different, our character as being godly, and may we then give you more glory as we let the world know what it means for Christ to love his church because we model it in our marriage. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.